Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Licton, an expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine and the author of the textbook of bioidentical hormones. We've got a good show for you today. It's called The Truth About Testosterone. And you know the possibilities of testosterone therapy are quite enticing. Increase your muscle mass, sharpen your memory and mental focus, boost your libido, improve your energy level, reduce depression, and other important health benefits. We're going to tell you the truth about testosterone later in this show. I want to remind you, if you'd like to drop us a line, we'd be happy to answer your email. Our email address is usdoctorradio at gmail.com. Again, that's usdoctorradio at gmail.com. We'd be happy to answer your questions. And make sure you tell your friends we're available every Monday with a new show on iTunes. If you'd like to contact Dr. Lichten, you can do so by calling 248-593-9999. Call them for a consultation or to ask a question. The number is 248-593-9999 or visit his website. It's a good one. A lot of resources for you. It's usdoctor.com, Dr. Lichten's website, usdoctor.com. Hello, doctor. How are you today? I'm good, Steve. And you? Good. The show is going well. We're getting a lot of good responses from around the country. And here's an email question from Rachel in St. Louis. She wants to know, will hormone replacement therapy cause me to gain weight? The question is, which hormone therapy? We know that estrogen therapy in general is one that's associated with weight gain. Most women will report that they'll gain two or three pounds when they're on certain forms of birth control pill. And we know that during pregnancy, when there's increased hormone levels, there is an associated weight gain. But for most women, we find that rebalancing the hormones, in fact, results in a weight loss. A woman who's toned, who has more muscles, is, in fact, leaner, lower body mass index. Mm -hmm. And even if the weight doesn't decrease, they find they decrease the dress size, the pant size. So balancing the hormones is a key. And... uh, Each hormone has a specific function. We've described estrogen, we've described progesterone, and we've described testosterone. So, yes, some of my women patients, they look like they're GI Jane, and uh, that's one application for hormonal therapy, and others are just happy and healthy. So it's the combination? It's the art of balancing the three sets of hormones for a woman. Yes, definitely. Great. Donna from San Francisco writes, I'm 65 years old and postmenopausal. Is it too late for me to begin hormone replacement therapy? The answer in my practice is no, it's never too late. Now, in the Women's Health Initiative that we keep referring to, they talked about starting hormone therapy for women 20 years after the menopause. Mm-hmm. But the hormone therapy they were using, the PremPro, the horse urine combined with the oil derivative, This showed the increased risk of complications of heart disease and breast cancer and uh, uh, stroke. But the interesting thing is there have been no large-term studies on natural hormone therapies in the older age bracket. But I start women in their 40s on hormone replacement. I have women that are now in their late 70s who have been hormone replacement for me almost 30 years. And they have wonderful bone mass, sharp as a tack, 
and they haven't experienced this increased risk because they're not taking the synthetic products, the Premarin and the Provera. So I have women in their 60s who come to me all the time, and we start them on natural therapy. Now, you don't need to start them on heavy doses. Usually we start them with first with a natural vaginal cream of estrogen to get them used to that in the vaginal area first. There's a some systemic absorption. And then as the need increases, we can increase the dose to a natural patch. The addition of a little testosterone is great for memory, bones, uh, mental focus, losing cellulite, increased libido. So there's a gradual stepwise fashion for someone who's older rather than someone who's just walking to the menopause as a sharp post-op operative hysterectomy occurrence. And you have patients in their 70s that would be coming in for some testosterone injections just to strengthen bones and other benefits as well for them. Oh, definitely. I have now some patients that are approaching 90. We're treating patients pre-Alzheimer's and uh, patients who've had brain surgery, in fact, to increase their muscle mass, increase their tone, increase their mental focus. Um, It doesn't work as well for people who are 85. I'd rather treat people in their 30s and 40s, but some of the results we've had are just absolutely mind-boggling. makes you wonder what it would be like if we started taking care of senior citizens in nursing homes. Well, my idea is we start taking care of senior citizens when they're 30 and 40, (laughs) and then they can take care of us when they're 80, 90, and 100. Gotcha. Good point. Sarah from Detroit writes, I currently use estrogen vaginally for lubrication. Is there a chance that my husband will get this estrogen in his body from having intercourse with me? From a practical standpoint, the estrogen cream ends up the hormone gets absorbed very rapidly. So within five to seven, maybe even 10 minutes, 80% of the estrogen has gone through the cream into the uh, uh, woman's bloodstream. So I advise my patients there really is no concern of the estrogen being significantly absorbed, whether there's oral or vaginal forms of intercourse with the creams. Interesting question though, right? Oh, I've heard most of them. (laughs) I bet you have. Oh, my goodness, the questions you must have heard in all your years. Let's take a look at some of the news stories. I always like to hear your feedback on that. This is an interesting one. Is conventional medicine evidence-based? I know we get challenged a lot with uh, alternative medicine, but what about conventional medicine? Is it evidence-based? An article in the Journal of American Medical Association, or JAMA, looked at the scientific evidence underlying the American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association's clinical practice guidelines. These guidelines give doctors recommendations for treating various cardiovascular diseases such as hypertension, heart failure, angina, etc. For example, the guidelines have stated that a normal blood pressure should be 120 over 80. If it's higher... Doctors have to consider medication. In effect, these guidelines are designed to influence the practice of medicine and serve as templates for how cardiovascular patients should be treated. These guidelines are based on sound scientific evidence, right? They're free of bias, right? The guidelines are true examples of evidence-based medicine, right? Well, unfortunately... The correct answer for all of those questions is wrong. Now, the study went on to find that 48% of the time, the guidelines are based on the lowest levels of evidence. The accompanying editorial in JAMA stated, the most widely recognized bias is financial. Guidelines have become marketing tools for device and pharmaceutical manufacturers. 
Financial ties between guideline panel members and industry are common. In a study looking at 44 guidelines, 87% of the guideline authors had some form of industry tie. The authors of this study point out that the American Heart Association and the American College of Cardiology's own guidelines are based on lower levels of evidence or expert opinion. Clinicians need to exercise caution when considering recommendations not supported by solid evidence. But how about that line in there that financial ties between guideline panel members and industry are common? Remember when we started this, you said, I was a radical one. Are you the one that's hiring the guards to protect us now against the uh, P, I, and G forces out there? Here's how it works. 55% of our research money comes from pharmaceutical companies. So the research output is going to be judged by whether there is a financial return. So evidence-based medicine, which has been a big push over the last 25 years, is really nothing more than a restricted observation. Do you sleep better on Lunesta than with nothing? It's not looking for cause. It's looking for a response. Is my basketball team taller than yours? They're missing out on something called outcome and prevention. So if we take the example of sleep, we'll stay away from hormones for a moment, what I wrote two and a half years ago was everybody who has trouble sleeping has low levels of vitamin D. Now, what does this mean? Well, common sense. If you go on vacation, a lot of bright sunlight, you sleep great. You come back to Michigan, it's cloudy, you're indoors, you're wearing all kind of covering, you don't sleep well. Mm -hmm. But I looked at measuring the vitamin D levels. The point being is you can take Lunesta till you're blue in the face or you can take a few drops of vitamin D, but the vitamin D is cheap and then no one's going to do a study for it. So two aspects we've already come up with. If you measure vitamin D levels, you'll see you can prevent the insomnia to some extent by taking it. And number two, if you have trouble sleeping, Instead of taking Lunesta, you can do something cheap, simpler and cheaper with a better outcome. So evidence-based medicine eliminates cause and outcome, the two major factors. So when you look at this, who's pushing the system? Drug companies, device manufacturers go to the head of the departments of 125 medical schools, give them money, pay them. They do studies. They train everybody how to do it because doctors have been told you got to follow right inside the protocol, otherwise you're liable. But no one's looking for prevention. No one's looking for outcome. And that's what my books are about. That's why my treatment programs have a different effect. Just It blew me away. 87% of guideline authors had some form of industry tie. And following up on that, here's another interesting story to blow your mind. Is drug company money tainting medical education? Well, it's not often that a place like Harvard Medical School gets an F, particularly when rivals Stanford, Columbia, and the University of Pennsylvania are all pulling A's and B's. But that's exactly what happened recently when members of the increasingly influential American Medical Student Association decided to grade 150 medical schools on just how much money and gifts they're collecting from drug companies. The more goodies the schools are vacuuming up from industry, the worse the grade. Now, there's always been reason to worry about the influence of big pharma on the practice of medicine. When doctors are being lavished with meals and speaking fees by the likes of Pfizer, Merck, 
The question is, can you really trust them when they later write prescriptions for those drug companies? Medical schools were long considered above taking gifts and pay from pharmaceutical companies. Now, however, it turns out that many professors and instructors are legally on the take as well. And students are beginning to wonder, is what we're being taught just as one-sided as what patients are being prescribed? Campaigns to curb the med school cash are growing on campus, in Congress, and in local governments, and at Harvard. They're at the center of this right now. The issue exploded this week when the New York Times published a pair of stories tracking Harvard's industry ties. The school might have turned a whole new shade of crimson when its flunking grade was made public last summer, but things got even uglier in November when 40 med students rallied on campus to demand a clean break between industry and academia. The facts, they argued, justified their outrage. Of Harvard's 8,900 professors and lecturers, 1,600 admit that they or a family member have had some kind of business link to drug companies, sometimes worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that could bias their teaching or research. Additionally, Pharma contributed over $11.5 million to the school last year for research and continuing education classes. So this tug of war between industry and the research is long withstanding. Major medical journals require doctors publishing work in their pages to disclose board memberships and other money-making arrangements they have with drug companies. Well, let's bring it home. I went ahead and met with the head of the uh, Jocelyn, which is a diabetic division of Harvard, about eight years ago in Miami when we both were lecturing there. He's a Ph.D., and... We had a conversation and we had a discussion about this breakthrough diagnosis that all diabetic men are low in testosterone, which was published five years later by Harvard. And uh, he's polite. His uh, assistant was polite, and it went nowhere. And what happens here back in Michigan, uh, Jocelyn's affiliated with my hospital where I was doing the research with the diabetes. And suddenly in 99, my protocol was pulled. Results were fantastic. It was the number three diabetologist in the country. It was my co-author. The data was absolutely solid. Research was pulled and never reinstated. In 2006, the same division, the American Diabetic Association, run by the same individual, published an article by a nurse uh, which talked about testosterone deficiencies in men. And she was supported by the drug company that makes Androgel. But she said, and it came out to all the American diabetic educators, testosterone level under 300 should be searched for, should be recognized, and should be treated. I called him. He said he didn't even know the article was published, but he would get back to me. That was 2006. He didn't get back to me. The point being is there's so much money involved that feeds the Jocelyn Clinic in research, that feeds the Harvards, that feeds all the universities, even the hospitals locally, that you can't get a fair break. So even though the research is now ubiquitous, Harvard's published it, Sheffield English published the same stuff I came out with 10 years ago, that every diabetic male is low in testosterone, not one of them will say use $3 injections of testosterone. Not one of them will make that jump, which is so obvious that a fifth grader can make it. If you're low in testosterone, take testosterone. If you're low in vitamin D, take vitamin D. And look what happens. You can sleep better. You got your muscle strength back. You got your diabetes under control. Your heart disease is better. Your coronary arteries are open, so you only need a heart catheterization. No one makes that jump because there's no money involved in doing the right thing. 
but schools and research labs have to find money to fund the research. Where do they get it if they don't get help from the pharmaceutical companies? Would the research still get done? Wouldn't it be great if the federal government actually supported the best outcome? I mean, the FDA gets $300 million a year from drug companies. Wouldn't it be interesting if some of the money said, let's see if there's a better drug than Lipitor. Let's see what the cause is for heart disease. Let's see what happens if you don't need Viagra. But the point is, there's no desire to find a cheaper, safer, more effective drug, and no one's really looking for causes because if you cure the problem, you don't sell it again. It's embarrassing if you're the professor if someone comes by and says, that's wrong. There's something cheaper. You didn't look at the cause. I mean, think about the fact of the hierarchy of medicine. Yes. And it gets scary. Well, it's that way, too, uh, for a lot of patients that go into doctors today with their Internet research. Some doctors embrace it, look at it, talk about it. Others are very offended that a patient, how would that guy know what he's talking about? And he's bringing this to me like he knows and he doesn't know. And I get the feeling sometimes that that attitude just doesn't lend itself to your best advantage for health care. Well, it's fear. See, you don't realize from a doctor's standpoint, he's sitting here in this behind the desk and he's got this white coat and he's the authoritarian person. He doesn't know. I mean, we have so much information. It's increased 500-fold from when I went to medical school. And if you don't continue to read and ask questions because you're so inundated with what they're throwing at you, it becomes reflex protocol. Mm-hmm. And I have good professors who will say, Ed, we do it this way. And I would say, but here's the literature. He says, well, that's nice. We're still going to do it this way because we're comfortable doing it. We've done this way for 30 years. So will you do this? No, we won't. So the patient has the obligation to be their best advocate. And if the doctor retreats and hides behind his white wall, then you have to ask the question is, what are you afraid of? Well, you don't ask him what he's afraid of because he'll kick you out of the office. But you basically <laughs> have to ask yourself is, what information is scary to you and how can I both best use the information I get from the Internet? Right. Good advice. All right, let's talk about testosterone. That's the topic of today's show, the truth about testosterone. You know, as men age, many suffer from loss of stamina, energy, depression, erectile dysfunction, and a whole host of other issues. And now more than ever, men over 40 are turning to testosterone therapy to turn back the clock on aging. It was once thought to be controversial, but hormone replacement for men is now believed to be a safe and healthy way for men to feel better than they ever have, or at least since their 20s. So let's talk about testosterone. Let's dispel some of the myths, but let's start at the beginning. What is testosterone? Testosterone is the key male hormone. It's his fountain of youth. Testosterone levels influence the male even before he's born because a woman's level of hormones in utero determine things as simply as left and right handedness. And there's other aspects as well that we can trace to a woman's hormone levels as well as the development of the male hormones uh, within utero. Somewhere around the age of 11 for males, There's a triggering of the endocrine system, and the body actually ends up producing small levels of testosterone to trigger the growth cycle and the increase in height. So if you have someone who's on the short side, he's probably a little late in developing his testosterone release from his gonads. 
testosterone levels, other than influencing the pituitary and the growth and the muscle development, of course, influence the development of body hair, muscle, and everything else. The trouble we have in our environment today from a nutritional and, and uh, uh, xenoestrogen or estrogen-dominated plastics, poisons, food, is that we're influencing the young males in their te- before their teens, and we're changing the estrogen-testosterone balances. And those articles we've talked about before show that the average 50-year-old male is running 25% lower than his father or grandfather. I'm seeing men in their 30s whose testosterone levels look like most people used to be in their 70s. So we have a, a problem from the teens. We're getting more body fat from the estrogen levels. We're having decreased sperm counts. We're having decreased mental focus. A lot of women ask me, where are the men that they used to be? These guys are wimpy, flabby, unfocused. What's wrong? They're lo- they never got their appropriate levels of testosterone. And you believe a lot of that is due to environment. Oh, definitely. We talked a little bit about it's not just for men. Testosterone is also needed for women in smaller amounts, and that's primarily uh, to help sexuality, bone density. Mental focus, uh, cellulite, body composition, um, all the things that make life worthwhile mm-hmm. because you have to have behind both of our existence, the male and female existence, is reproduction. So therefore, the basis of life really is sex. So testosterone kicks in for a young man, and when does it peak, and what would a peak level of testosterone appear to be? Well, we've talked before about what is testosterone. What really counts is not the total level of testosterone, but the ratio, how much is free and usable. So you get a guy who's 17, 18 years old, his peak testosterone might be 800, might be 1,200, but his free testosterone, a ratio we call it a free androgen index, could be between 2 and 6. All right, let me stop you there. Yeah, because we, I lost you. No, you didn't lose me. I just want you to let our listeners really understand that. I understand it because I've talked to you enough about it. But when a lot of people think about testosterone or they go to their general practitioner, he may run, and most times they don't, but they may run a testosterone test, and they will just run total testosterone. So explain to our listeners the different types of testosterone and what also mixes in there to mess things up. Let's talk about testosterone like we're in Detroit talking about muscle cars, okay? So on the lot, you got 400 or 600 cars, these big muscle cars. Mm-hmm. The question is whether you can get them off the lot. You see, testosterone so powerful, the body doesn't let it float around all the time. It binds it. So if you put these cars on trailers, you can't use them. So the ratio is how many cars are there over how many trailers? That's total. Total number of cars or total testosterone divided by number of carrier proteins. Okay. And there's a ratio there. So if you've got um, 400 cars, you got 15 trailers. Every trailer holds 30 cars. You say 400 divided by 30 times 15, there's just about one. And that's a good normal ratio. If you say I got 400 cars and I got 40 trailers, then you got a ratio that's one-third. So the total testosterone is not enough to measure. Yes, there's absolute numbers. If you're under 300, you're probably low. But you could come in my office with a testosterone of 1,000 and still be low. Because if your body is made because of all these estrogens, so many trailers, then you don't have ability to use these testosterone. So it has to be free. And I'm talking about these young kids having ratios 2, 3, 4, even as high as 6. The average guy having a ratio of one, 
and the old guy comes in with a ratio of point three, and the diabetic comes in a ratio of point two. So the difference between a young, healthy guy and a diabetic male could be twenty fold. So guys, your doctors may run a check on you. They may come back and say you're fine. Your T levels are six hundred, eight hundred, twelve hundred, but that's not the total picture. It's the free, and it gets bound up. Right. It's called sex hormone binding globulin. It's a funny SHBG. Globulin. Yeah, globulin. But the point is, it's a carrier. It's a docking protein. And if you have a little bit of it, it's great. If you have a lot of it, you're probably going to be fat, diabetic, and have heart disease. And it's probably the number one risk factor. More important than cholesterol. More important than body fat ratio because it controls it. Because this directly links to your insulin pre-diabetic state. So high levels of binding protein, you know what that guy looks like. He looks like Humpty Dumpty. He's fat. He's soggy. He's going to have a heart attack. He's impotent. He's diabetic. He's got high SHPG. And you can just walk down the street and you can look at these guys and say, I know what he's got. I know what his problem is. And I don't want to get there. Well, how do you get that high level of that binding? It's environmental and it's aging. So you got a young, healthy guy, and he eats wrong, and he gets fat. The fat alone will increase the binding protein. The estrogen in the fat will increase the binding protein. The fact of life of getting older, your body turns on the binding protein part because, you know, you get to be 60, 70, you're replaceable. Mother Nature's going to push you out of the way. So the bottom line, you want to have your youthful ratio for as long as you can. So my ratio right now yeah, I'm approaching 62. It's better than I was at 42. It probably is as good as it was when I was 25. My muscle tone, my body density, my BMI, my mental focus, all these, I believe, match myself in the lower 30s. But it's not just older guys because, uh, in theory, you could be 35 years old and be having erection difficulties. I had a guy came in at 29, beautiful build, six-pack. And he says, Doc, I'm here because it doesn't work. And you know what it is, okay? He says, girls hit him on me all the time. His binding protein was 90. Normal is supposed to be 15. He was drinking a gallon of, quote, organic milk. I told him it's not organic milk. You're getting milk where the animals have got some pellets in them. And mm-hmm. we had to use special medicine, and, and he was engaged to Miss Nevada. So I guess things are working okay. <laughs> so we talk a lot about testosterone therapy primarily for guys over 40, but... Uh, gentlemen, if you're listening and maybe you've experienced some problems and you find yourself dipping into Viagra at an early age, you may want to go to your doctor and have him run that testosterone test. Get an experienced doctor like Dr. Lichten. You can call him later. I'll give you the number again at the end of the show. But that's an important thing to have checked. So the testosterone level low is considered 300 And what is the high? And when you're 20 years old, that's when you peak in your 20s? Yeah, 18 to 22 is probably going to be the peak, and some men will get as high as 1,200, or at least they used to. Uh, I see levels, uh, young guys in the office, between 500 and 800 as a rule. It's lower than I used to see 20 years ago. So when you age and your testosterone levels begin to decline, What are some of the side effects that are associated with that? And in a little bit, we're going to have a couple of your patients stop by, and they're going to tell us their experience with it. But tell us right now some of the side effects associated with low testosterone. Well, start by thinking about what do you have with high testosterone. High testosterone, great sex drive, short recovery phase, 
strong mental focus. You're bright. You're sharp. You can think clearly. You've got bones that you can use to bump into people on a football field. You've got muscle tone. You have low body fat. Uh, all the things that make us think young and healthy. That's what you have when you have high levels of testosterone. Now, when you have low levels of testosterone, you have less assertiveness, mental uh, fogginess. Uh, You've got depression. You've got body fat. You've got weaker bones. You have cachexia is our term for lack of muscle. Uh, You get old enough, you just can't get out of a a recliner or off the uh, commode. Uh, You've got disease. You see, high levels of testosterone is what our body uses to keep us healthy, reproductive. What's the point of having uh, a lot of sexual responsiveness if you have an unhealthy body? So the testosterone that we need for reproduction is also what we need for health. You take it away, you lose both your reproductive potential and you lose your health. Yeah, and a lot of men, guys listening out there, you may have begun listening to this program for the sex benefits, but there's so much more to that. Sexually, though, how does it work? How does testosterone get us back in action again? Well, there's three parts. First of all, you got to have the response. Pretty girl triggers a response in your brain. This is what we call the libido. Actually, it's testosterone being changed to estrogen in the brain, but if you have no testosterone, you see the pretty girl and there's no response. So first, you got to have the brain response. Once the brain responds, then the second part is the body responds, and you release chemicals that will increase blood flow into the penis. And in the cavernosum, which is a large cavern, spongy part of the penile tissue, these will actually have increased blood flow. And it's like a sponge that fills up with blood. And the third part is you shut off the outflow. So you pump blood into the penis, but you don't let it come out. So you have three levels. One Think about it, two, body response, and three, don't let the blood go. Now, I've heard guys talk about more than just that physical response. They talk about experiencing more feelings of love. What about that? There's no question. I mean, the bottom line, this is a whole body response. It's not just an act. It's a whole response. Everything about testosterone is for reproduction. It's not that we go out and drop it in a tree. We have a whole physiological response for procreation and reproduction you we are programmed to not just have an ejaculation but to be there be supportive and raise the offspring this is part of the whole hormonal picture of being on testosterone i talked to one general practitioner about hormone replacement therapy and his attitude and he was almost bragging about it to me he said you know what you know, I don't do it that much anymore, and I just figure that's that's life, and I can live with that, and uh, it's not that big a deal to me. And he just accepted that as a normal part of aging. And I guess it is kind of normal because a lot of guys go that path if they don't seek therapy, but it certainly doesn't have to be that way. Well, remember last week when we were talking about the Oprah show and the woman says, I want to celebrate my menopause? Celebrate. All right. Well, you know, I'm glad you're celebrating your menopause. I mean, my rule for me is uh, the last dose of testosterone I plan to get will be the last day I'm on this planet. And until then, I want to think and act and feel like I have value, reproductive, mental, 
physical, psychological, intellectual value, and that really starts with the testosterone. And I'm just guessing here, but you treat both men and women. I'm guessing that men, this might even affect more than women. I mean, men have this identity with their sexuality even more so than women. Is that true? Would you agree with that? There's no question that men are actually simpler to treat than women. And as trained as a gynecologist, I've been treating women now for, she was almost 40 years. And the truth is women are more secure. Uh, Men are more sensitive to the fact of their physical potential, their reproductive potential, their financial. Uh, Men are still boys, and they're very insecure when you take their testosterone away. You watch the guy who's top of the ladder and he loses his uh, his business or he has some trauma. His testosterone level can drop by 70% in three or four days. Really? Yes. It's a both emotional and a physical. And if you have great levels of testosterone, you can handle the stress. And if you have too much stress, you lose your testosterone. So the two are linked. How you feel, how you appear basically is your testosterone level. And at one point... In most men's life, they will experience some form of erectile dysfunction. Most of you guys probably have, and we all know that when that happens, it's not a good day. Yeah, you lost the football game and you never even got on on the playing field. (laughs) It's not a good day. It's just not. So uh, a lot of guys have really run to the pharmacist for Viagra, but the truth is, If you get your T-levels back up, you may not need it at all, or if you do, a lot less, correct? Right, because we talked about that third phase. You have the mental thought, then you have the blood flow of the penis, and then you have to block the outflow. Well, all Viagra does is block the outflow of blood, and testosterone has both the libido effects, it also has the responsiveness effects, and it has a whole mental, physical part that you talked about. You know, this is more than just an act of getting things up, and getting things out. And that's what we're talking about, normal. Some men that I've spoken with, they get excited about the thought of testosterone therapy. Then they maybe call their internist and they ask them, and the internist scares them away with some of this, oh, talk about prostate cancer. We've heard about that with testosterone. But the truth is becoming known now that it just ain't so. There's a guy out of Harvard Medical School This is a guy by the name of Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler. Now, this gentleman is a bright guy. He's written some books, uh, The Viagra Myth, and he is the founder of the Men's Health in Boston. That's a center focusing on sexual and reproductive health. They featured him in an article in the December 2008 Life Extension magazine. There was a great article called Destroying the Myth about Testosterone Replacement and Prostate Cancer. You can see that online at LEF.org. That's Life Extension's website. But in this, there's too much to talk about in this show, and maybe we should get him on in a future show. But he dispelled the old myth back from the 40s when they discovered or they thought they discovered that prostate cancer could result from testosterone therapy. Turns out, and I'm paraphrasing, but they had done research uh, with dogs, they were the, the research tool for this. And then they related the information to humans. And over the years, that just stuck. It was there from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. Well, now, 
after he's done all this research, and this is a Harvard doctor here, he says, I no longer fear that giving a man testosterone therapy will make a hidden prostate cancer grow or put him at increased risk of developing prostate cancer down the road. My real concern now is that men with low testosterone are at an increased risk of already having prostate cancer. And he goes on to say that for over 60 years, there's been the fear that testosterone therapy will cause new prostate cancers to arise or hidden ones to grow. It is quite remarkable to discover that long-standing fear about testosterone and prostate cancer has little scientific support. The old concept, taken as gospel, just don't stand up. And he, he just goes on to dispel that. So check out that article if you are one of those that's concerned that this could be dangerous because there's a lot more to that story. Well, remember what we talked about before is doctors in medical school, okay? So the doctors are taught, quote, and this is dogma because most times you don't have time to check to see that the professor is telling you the truth that testosterone is bad. Well, let's talk about why. Internists since the 1980s haven't been writing for testosterone. Now, I'm a little older, so in the 70s, we were giving testosterone freely to women. It worked to bring up their blood count, relieve their menstrual problems, stop them from having breast milk, uh, increase their libido. Um, so many different things that we used testosterone for back in the 1970s. But as we developed the pharmacopoeia, a larger pharmaceutical group, the pharmaceutical companies, influence the medical practice. The thing you have to understand is most internists are very uncomfortable with hormones. They're afraid of giving thyroid, let alone giving testosterone. So since they're afraid of this, they will tell you it's dangerous, it causes cancer, look at this literature. And it's just because of their fear, and they lack the education to use it. But there's nothing wrong with that. The point you have to make is that there are so many ways of measuring the levels. And what really bothers me as a physician is a patient comes to me and says, I had the testosterone levels done. I went in my doctor. I showed I was below the 5 percentile. And the doctor says, I don't care. I'm not going to treat you. So there's a fear. There's an ignorance. And in 20 years of treating men as a gynecologist, treating men, I've had two prostate cancers develop, one the urologist misdiagnosed, and the other one's patient came in and out of my office and was diabetic over a period of years. But I picked up more than 50 cases of prostate cancer because we measured the PSA when they walked in the door. So all the men being seen, and I'm one of them who's been on testosterone 20 years, they routinely have PSAs that are almost at the lowest levels. So when you see an experienced doctor in hormone replacement therapy, he's going to do that. They'll, they'll look at your prostate, your PSA test, um, they may have a physical exam on you done as well. And if you're still concerned, I would say monitor that. Have your PSAs done every what, year, every six months? What we do in the beginning is we do it three months, six months, and then six months or a year. And I have had two men over a period of uh, 20 years that we watched some dramatic changes occur at some point in time. But routine monitoring is all you need to do. And my rule is a PSA around two and a half is about as high as I go without a urologist saying it's okay. But if you have a PSA of 0.4 or 0.6 or 1.0, you know, what's the fear? What's the concern? Why not see how you feel? I mean, the truth is a blood test is a piece of paper. How you feel is really what you're out for. You're coming to the doctor to feel better, and that's what you should leave with that treatment. Well, and this doctor, Morgan Teller, he goes on to say that even gentlemen that have had prostate cancer 
are now receiving testosterone therapy, and he finds that to be helpful and can actually prevent them from developing more cancer in the future. That is a conclusion he obviously is a... uh internist urologist can reach. I have a patient who's now 15 years out after having prostate cancer who went back on testosterone two years, and he was seen at Mayo Clinic. They said, fine, go back on the testosterone. He's a physical trainer. So he had his prostate removed for prostate cancer. Then he proceeded to go back on the testosterone. He's actually a physical trainer. He's lost all his body fat. He's muscular. He's happy. He's doing something he wants to do. And he's now post-surgery almost 15 years. So, guys, if you're considering this, find a doctor that knows his stuff, a doctor like Dr. Lichten. Dr. Lichten has patients fly in from all over the world to see him. He does telephone consultations, and if you can't get here, you could probably have a consultation with him, and he would be able to help you track down someone in your neck of the woods. Let's hear from a couple of Dr. Lichten's patients, and we'll hear how hormone replacement therapy benefits them. All right, I'm here with Carl, one of Dr. Lichten's patients. Carl, we're trying to get some real-world stories about testosterone replacement therapy. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you came to Dr. Lichten and how testosterone therapy has helped you? Well, I was uh, seeing uh, my my regular physician and um, just going through um, a low point in my life and feeling uh, sluggish and not feeling 100%. Believe it or not, I had seen uh, a interview with Sylvester Stallone. He's mm-hmm. talking about uh, hormone replacement, and so I asked my physician about it, and he gave me Doctor Lichten's phone number. And so, and can I ask how old you are? Forty-four. Okay, so forty-four, and and you started this at what age? Forty-three. So you're feeling sluggish um, at work or just in general? In general, work um, and home. You know, just. Tired. Beyond sluggishness. Any other feelings? Uh, loss of libido? Anything like that? Um, absolutely. Loss of libido. Loss of uh, just kind of almost in a depressed state. Um, I'm a pretty active guy, and I was running at, I believe, around 40%. And so now, a year later, what are you experiencing? Rawr. Great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a tiger. Yeah. It's like a tiger, Dr. Lichten. Feeling absolutely wonderful. Absolutely. I'm back to uh, 100%. I'm, you know, uh, back engaged in life. I feel like I got the wind in my sails again. And uh, with um, <clears throat> everything within business, uh, you know, libido, um, interest in um, life. Well, you look pretty fit, too. Um, did you notice a difference in body composition when you started uh, testosterone replacement therapy? Huge, huge. I. Uh, Lost a lot of body fat. I'm um, down to nine uh, percent body fat now. Where I was nine percent. Yeah, I was at twenty six percent, and uh, you know, I had the heavy love love handles, and they just disappeared. I, you know, I'm, feel very fit and uh, energetic, and want to work work out or exercise. You mentioned mental focus. You became more focused at work, even huge, very, very, very focused. And uh, very, like I said, I had uh, wind put back in my sails, and uh, which helped generate new revenue. You know, and uh, it's great. I can't. There's not a negative thing about it that I can say. All right, so doctor, maybe you want to interject. You remember the patient when he came to you? Uh, how do you feel about this? Carl's a real interesting fellow here, and he came in and he said, Doc, you know, I'm just not. 44-year-old guy, I'm like a 70-year-old guy here, and it doesn't feel good. I can't do the work. I can't do the 
uh, the outside work. I can't. Uh, I'm tired. Uh, even if it's a pretty girl, it's, my mind doesn't turn the way it's supposed to. He says, what do you got? So if you could sum it up with one thing, what is so important? What what happened to you through this process that makes it all worthwhile for you? Um, I love life again. I very much love life again. The wind is in my sails. I'm ready to conquer the world, uh, and I don't think I could be stopped. Thanks, Carl. I appreciate you coming by and sharing your story with us. Thank you. We've got another one of Dr. Licken's patients with us now. We'll call him Joe. And, Joe, tell me a little bit about your experience with testosterone therapy. It's been a change in my life. It's helped me quite a bit. As we age, we lose a lot of our, um, how do you say, our, uh, our personal inside power. Let's put it that way. How long have you been on therapy now? Um, about a year and a half. So tell me, take me back to the beginning. What brought you in? Um, I'm for quite a few years. I've been um, hardworking man in that, and then just a bit through feeling not right. Uh, let's say depressed a little bit. Um, not just like almost like losing your memory. I could say. Uh, it's just not feeling yourself, mm-hmm. okay? You're just 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 tired and drained, depressed all the time, stuff like that, you know. There's like something is missing. So you did some research? You looked into tea therapy? I've done for, for years. I've dealt with, you know, trying to just change things and that and figuring why. Uh, going to a regular medical doctor and you know, my normal doctor and then uh, at the time taking care of better yourself, quit smoking and stuff like that. But um, and trying to, let's say... Um, changing my diet weight to a complete turnaround of my eating habits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But still something, something was missing. Okay. I started taking care of myself um, and eating that, but still I felt it's like when you, uh, you still, something is not right. Okay. Something is lacking in my, and I could sense whether I start exercising and that. And then when you get there and it's like, you're just still drained Just something is you can feel in yourself that something is still missing. Right. So here you are doing all the right stuff, right? But yet you're still not feeling the way, you believe you should. Right. So you look into testosterone therapy, and you come in. You had your T levels checked. Uh, did you find yourself on the low spectrum of testosterone levels? Yes, Dr. Lichten. We, we um, had a long interview with Dr. Lichten, and we talked about certain things that it could be, you know, numeral, could be other things in that. And we did a full blood test in that, and that's what came from there. And I was uh, very low. And by reading and researching after finding out that I was low, um, I will say that it's you backtrack in your mind of things that happened in your life. Mm-hmm. And um, let's say now, boy, if I was on keel then, maybe my life had been twice as better than it is now. Right. So it starts to make sense. You can look back right. and, and see what was happening. And it's a good news story as well to hear that there is something out there that can turn you around. I mean, you tried nutrition taking care of yourself that didn't work and now you have an answer or at least a direction to make you feel better so you started therapy how long did it take you to start feeling better actually um the um the first the first the first session i will say i started feeling a little different um uh, you could see a change okay your mind is just a little starts working a little different um i would say you're thinking a little clearer Okay, you're thinking now what you wanted been that you've never said. You're starting to say it. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, future, and, what I'm trying to get at, so I'm sorry. And it does, and and I think you are really bringing this point to head here, and it's a great one because a lot of guys come purely for the sexual benefits, which I'm sure uh, you will say there are many of those as well. It, it resets your biological clock. It seems back to when you're in your 20s as far sure. as sex desire. Sure, correct? That's, that's true. That's true. But this is this is coming to this is taking me as a whole person. Um, that the person that you always wanted to be, let's put it that way, in, in a respectful way. So you're noticing a new sense of confidence, uh, a yes. new sense of well-being. Yes. And how would you describe all of that in your life, the difference that made to you? In, let's put it this, anybody that I do come in contact with, a relationship with uh, family, friends, um, they can see the difference, you know, in the right way. And as... Um, uh, let's say um, I, I I like to work out every day, you know, just exercise that, and I'm feeling a lot better that way. And um, now I'm, um, you know, I'm standing next to the, to the weights with the young boys. And it's not that I'm, you know, you're you're becoming a massive power blip, but just you're feeling good and you're feeling comfortable. You're enjoying the workout. You look forward to work out every day. You look forward to uh, taking care of yourself every morning. Is this is your your body is like it's like on a schedule of your eating and everything is all set in order in your same day. And it's just like, it's just becoming a, a new life. It's like a born, I will say the second coming of yourself. So there you have it. Those are a couple of patients of Dr. Lichten's with their true experiences of how it's literally changed their life. Joe really had a great story. The point we're making from what you started with is evidence-based medicine doesn't deal with causation. What we're saying here is guy comes in with all these different complaints. You could sh cut them up in pieces and send them to eight different doctors. If you just measure the basic hormones, you're treating both prevention and outcome. So evidence-based medicine, when you look at a symptom, fails the patient. The guy comes in depressed, they didn't measure his testosterone level. The guy comes in and says, I have no mental focus, they didn't measure his testosterone. The guy comes in and says, I'm having trouble with an erection. They didn't measure his testosterone. I'm getting fat. They didn't measure his testosterone. My bones are thinner. They didn't measure the testosterone level. I can't exercise like I used to. They didn't measure the testosterone level. So the internist who has divided the patient up into 10, 12 different specialties has missed it. Evidence-based medicine misses causation. But not only have they missed it if they're looking for it in depression, but they've actually perhaps created a worse problem. For instance... A guy comes uh, to the doctor, he's depressed. They'll put him on Prozac. He was depressed, he's having erectile issues, they put him on Prozac. When it may have been the testosterone deficiency. Well, what happens when you're on some of these antidepressants? What you had before, you have less now. So the erection that you had a soft one of, you don't even have a start of one on the Prozac, the Paxil, the Wellbutrin, the effects are the Desiree, all these drugs have central effects, so you don't even have the thought of libido for some people. If you can treat a cause, treat the cause. And 80% of the time, we find that testosterone is able to fix the depression in the men and women. And that's the point. Cause, causation, blood test. Find out what you're treating. As your patients were talking about, they improved their muscle mass and strength, your bones get stronger, improve sexual desire, they're getting more energy, decreased irritability and depression, 
but I was really fascinated with the way Joe claimed he got his mental game back. And I think about that in today's society. People don't keep their jobs for 30 years like they used to. There can be a guy that's worked for a company, and now he's 50 years old. His company downsizes, and he's out of a job. Now, this guy is probably run down. His testosterone levels are low. He's not feeling like he's got his A game anymore, but yet he's got to go back, try to get a job, and compete with young bucks in their 20s and 30s. But he's not there anymore. Joe talked about how it changed his life. It brought back his mental focus, his relationships. I mean, that's impressive. That's that's amazing. Yeah, there's no question that in this environment, you know, you at 50 and me at 60, we don't think our age, our biological age, our chronological age. We think our but with our biological age. So we're not afraid to go out there and hit the ball with the 24-year-olds, and we're not afraid to play tennis with the 30-year-olds, and we're not afraid to be out there in an environment where we have to compete with men our own age. And that's the difference because we know we're on testosterone. It's very likely our levels are higher than theirs. And next week, we'll be talking with Dr. Roberts. He's out of Toledo, Ohio. He co-wrote a book with Dr. Sinatra, who's an expert in the field of cardiology. And Dr. Roberts will talk to us about how he implements testosterone therapy into his cardiology practice. It's got some great benefits for people with heart issues, doesn't it? Right, and and, uh, and Jim will be sure to tell you that we're the ones that taught him about testosterone more than 15 years ago. I have patients with cardiomyopathy, which means they were in heart failure, sent home from university to die, who are still alive with me 12 years later. I have men who felt too tired to walk up a flight of stairs, and a year and a half later, they're running on the treadmill for an hour and a half. I mean, there's a component here of what we can do by replacing the testosterone and then what the patient does with it. And you've picked up the point. Just because we raise the testosterone levels, yes, there are benefits, but the mental effects that I can do it again. That's the part that people don't understand. And we're not talking about big doses of testosterone. I mean, we're talking about one-thirtieth the dose of a Conseco uh, or a Barry Bonds. Uh, you don't need a lot. These are small doses of testosterone. The levels were established more than 40 years ago. Uh, the point is, it's not a lot of medicine, but it's just like flipping from off to on with your whole body switch. And it does make sense. We talked a lot about how it increases muscle strength. Well, what's one of the largest muscles in your body? Your heart. And so we talked also about the vasodilating benefits that help for sex by dilating the, the vessels into your penis. Well, you want to dilate the vessels in your coronary arteries. And I think I told you the story of the diabetic who had a heart attack, and I was seeing my office. He's sitting there arguing with me. He goes to the hospital finally. The doctor says you have to have a heart cath. So there's a 330-pound man, diabetic, with blood sugars that were elevated, but he was on testosterone. And they did the heart catheterization, and even though he had a heart attack, they didn't find a place to put a stint because the testosterone dilated his vessels. They couldn't put a stint in a man with a heart attack and diabetes in his late 50s. Yes, you're looking at me like, oh, my God, are you telling me 80% of the heart caths are probably unnecessary? Oh, at least. Oh, Dr. Roberts will blow us away. Guys, you haven't heard him yet. I've talked to him at his office. Wait till he gets on the show. My goodness. I mean, just like there are internists that don't know a lot about hormone replacement therapy, there are a lot of cardiologists that don't really get it with the new cardiology. 
and I want to be with the new, latest, breaking stuff for my health personally. I don't know about you. Well, the whole point is we believe in prevention. Medicine in the United States is geared for emergency intervention. Don't do anything until he's had the heart attack. Well, I'm not doing that. 20 years before he has the heart attack, I'm going to measure his testosterone levels. And when he gets to the point where he's not having sex and unable to have an erection, he's two years away from having that heart attack. So I want prevention and I want treatment before. I mean, I really believe if we started treating men in their 30s and 40s with testosterone, the amount of heart disease we would see would drop. Mm -hmm. The heart catheterizations would drop dramatically. Because you understand the only less than 1% of Men who get heart caths actually have a true obstruction, less than 1%. 99% is because there's been a vasospasm, and that's where they put the stent. And I can fix that vasospasms a lot of time with testosterone. Some gentlemen who've had type 2 diabetes are seem to be helped with testosterone therapy as well. Right, and that's the studies we've been doing showing that we can reverse the high blood sugars. We can prevent them from crashing. They can lose weight. They can make muscle. Even if they're on insulin, we've been able to reduce the insulin requirements by 50%. So the point is, testosterone deficiency is a cause for 20, 30, 40, 50 different diseases that men specifically run to different doctors for. Same thing applies for women. Testosterone deficiency can be treating at least 10 or 15 of their most common chronic complaints. So guys, you're not alone if you feel like you're just not yourself. You're slower you're fatigued, you're gaining weight, you're working out, eating right, but things aren't happening for you. You're depressed, perhaps. You're suffering from erectile dysfunction. There's a lot of guys in the same boat. So the first step is to find an anti-aging wellness physician such as Dr. Edward Lichten. They will be able to guide you on the right path. They'll check your testosterone levels, they'll evaluate that, and then therapy begins. Therapy can be in a variety of different forms. It can be injection, pellets, creams. Everything depends on what is the best art form for you. We have different ways of trying. There's different forms of testosterone. We're not going to list them all here, but the bottom line is there are at least five different forms of testosterone available, FDA approved in the United States. And you need the doctor who knows the art of mixing the medication to best serve your needs because everything is unique. Because you're a unique individual, has special concerns, special considerations. The medicine, the blood work will get us in the general vicinity, but then you have to be able to talk to your doctor. Tell him what you find is good, what you want to fix. And that's what we're talking about here today. Great show, a wealth of information, as always, from Dr. Edward Lechton, an expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine and the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. That's a good place for you to start. You can visit his website at usdoctor.com. You can buy that book online. It will tell you all you need to know about hormone therapy, and then you may want to call him, too. He's available for consultations. His phone number is 248-593-9999. Again, 248-593-9999. Dr. Edward Lichten. Always a pleasure talking to you, Doctor. I look forward to our show next Monday when we talk more about the benefits of testosterone in cardiology. Thank you. Everyone else, if you'd like to drop an email for Dr. Lichten for next week's broadcast, send it to usdoctorradio at gmail.com. That's usdoctorradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Steve Peck. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week.